Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod. I am your acting captain, and it is star date 100075.35. And with me is... Is that my cue? Yep. (laughs) Suzanne, hi. (laughs) Sorry, I thought y'all were going to go first. Great start to this. (laughs) Elizabeth. Phil. (laughs) So excited. We we are here. We're going to get a chance to talk about um, an incredible episode. Episode 8, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, uh, The Elysian Kingdom. Um, but first, as we introduce ourselves, Suzanne, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your Trek background? Uh, tell us more about kind of what you've thought so far about uh, Strange New Worlds. Yeah, so I started out with uh, TNG when I was a little baby. My parents put me in front of TNG when I was probably the minute I got home from the hospital, frankly. And uh, I've loved it ever since. And uh, huge Voyager fan, Voyager's always going to be my favorite. But uh, Strange New Worlds, Strange New Worlds is really, really amazing. I really, really like it so far. There aren't very many things, there aren't very many negative things I have to say about it, really. I really, really love it so far. And this episode particularly is a favorite of mine, so. Great. Well, I'm I'm excited that we could talk about one of your favorite episodes. Uh, look, if you are seeing some names and wondering who they are, we've got a couple of our very own uh, Patreon our, our 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 patrons with us live on the pod this week, um, filling in um, as Mariah is on an away mission. Um, Phil is here. If you're not watching us live phil is wearing a red shirt we hope that he'll make it to the end no guarantees um but i just want to say if you are wondering how you can interact with us if you are watching us live on whatever streaming platform you are um, by all means type capital p capital o capital d in the chat and we will take a look at your comment and when we get to that special place we will ask you to type capital h capital f for your you know what and since we are talking about you know what why don't we go ahead and get into that special time all right so our hot freaks so instead of your hot takes we'd love your hot freaks so why don't we jump in who wants to go first give us your hot freak on this episode All right, I'll do it. Uh, so I said this when we were doing our Patreon watch long tonight. I was like, this episode is so Star Trek that it hurts so good because it was just campy. It hit some great emotional notes. It referenced a whole lot of different Star Trek tropes in its like overall concept, and I just loved it. So that's my hot freak. Great, Phil. Elizabeth, what about you? Oh, and I thought it was great, too. I thought it was a really nice departure from the, you know, the stoic kind of, like, um, uh, disaster episodes. It was really fun to see them have a lot of... You could tell the actors had a great time. The sets were beautiful. I thought that it was just really, like, a whole lot of fun. It was exactly the type of sci-fi that I adore, so I loved it. Right. Suzanne, what did you love about this episode? Yeah, no, I actually want to uh, comment a little bit about the the set dressing was just so beautiful and so like 
just ah, so perfect. And I'm I'm a huge like costumes nerd and everything, but I think that the set dressing definitely needs a lot of love. It was absolutely gorgeous to look at and, and to watch them go through all these different, you know, how they changed all the bays into whatever they should be uh, for the story. And I also like, I really love Pike's middle part. Like this is such a random thing to mention, but I just love that they gave him like this little like curled fringe of like the like, oh, please don't hurt me. Like I'll betray you if you don't hurt me type of villain. And I just, I love him. I absolutely love middle park Pike. <laughs> oh, I, I thought this was a great episode. I think um, my first thought was, oh, wow, we're getting a holodeck episode without a holodeck kind of early in their tenure. Um, and so I thought it was I, I thought it was really well done, though, for that. And I think anytime you can dress the ship and I, we've seen this in very, you know, various uh, sci fi series but to dress the ship as something else particularly this kind of you know Renfair vibe yes exactly, exactly. Renfair Star Trek Renfair episode <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it yes um so you they're they're taking this set that we know and love right that we've we've already grown a, kind of used to and accustomed to and they just transformed it with greenery and tapestry like i thought it was an amazing so the set was incredible the costuming was absolutely just phenomenal and i for one love the idea of an Mbanga and himmer kind of team up like sign me up i thought that that's a buddy cop show that i'm absolutely <laughs> down to watch um totally. so yeah so i thought i thought it was really good um and, and just fun, not to mention, I think we've all been looking to see, you know, are we are we going to get to know more about what happens with his daughter? Are we going to get some some a conclusion there, particularly before the episode goes? Um, and we got that. And I thought I thought it was done really well. Like, I thought this episode was really kind of fun and a little campy and kind of tongue in cheek. And everybody's playing different personas. Um, and it's a silly at times. And then the end kind of takes you to a place that really touched you in a very tender, a tender spot. So yeah. I thought this was a great episode. Um, but let's let's talk about some things. What what are some th things that stood out to you guys? Right. That you just really loved or <laughs> Phil, things that may not have made sense. Whatever. Jump in there, Suzanne. I just wanted to mention, um, you know, kind of on, along the lines of what you said about how it was it was such a silly kind of episode at parts. And then, you know, at the end, it manages to make it a Star Trek story. It, make, it makes it emotional. It, it has this choice between this or this and like needs of the many type thing. And, and I think it says a lot that Strange New Worlds was able to do in one episode, sort of a campy, fun storyline. And at the same time, stick to the sort of not necessarily moral of the story but it, it it still was serious and it still made me cry at points and i don't cry at, at television i don't but it it made me a little teary-eyed it was really really well done and i think that it, it says a lot for sure about the show that they're able to do that and it's it was really 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 well done yeah i think that in like 90s trek they would have done this episode and it would have been wholly self-contained and that bit about his daughter would have been like introduced in the beginning of the episode and then closed off at the end. But here what they've done is they've been pulling at that thread for a while, 
But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to have watched all of that to still get the payoff. And I think that that was really well executed. It, it kind of reminded me of, of the way some of like the, the character arcs in like DS9 and even a little bit in Voyager where they were constantly pulling out a little thread here and there, but you still managed to have a relatively well self-contained story that still packed a punch. And this is the second episode we've had now where we have a father having to make the ultimate sacrifice, which is also interesting, but it was the way they concluded it was really nice. And I, you know, cause usually in Trek, the whole non-corporeal alien thing never never pans out well, especially when dealing with children. So it was actually nice to see a positive uh, resolution for that. Cool. Yeah. And I, I like that what they, like they could have easily gone in the direction of, you know, he says goodbye and then, oh, we'll see each other again or I'll come back and see you and we never see her again. But they kind of gave us a little bit of a fast forward where she's like, it's only been a, a couple seconds for you, but it's been a lifetime for me. And we, I feel like we really got closure to that story. Um, I got to bring up a comment. James says his hot freak is I think this falls into Clyde's unofficial category of if they had 26 episodes a season. Sure. <laughs> it, look, James, you're not wrong. In fact, I was, <laughs> was watching this and talking to a friend and I said literally those same words. Like if there were twin, and I think I said, if there were even 18 episodes, this is perfect. So part of me was kind of thinking like, I got three more episodes of this and you did not move the story one iota. Um, however, this is different. Like this falls in the slightly different category because what we're getting with Strange New World is something that's much more akin to TOS, to TNG, and, and it's purely episodic. There's not some big bat that we're fighting along all season. There's not this overarching arc that we have to get to to, to completion. These episodes are largely, for the most part, self-contained. Um, and each one will do a little bit of character development. This was a interesting way to develop Mbenga. Um, you know, it's a, a buddy of mine said, you know, the first time we get a doctor specific kind of episode and it's, it's storybook time. Interesting choice, but I enjoyed it. Right. And so I think I'm kind of loosening up a little bit, but, but yeah, <laughs> I did kind of think, man, this is, this is what we're getting. Isn't okay. it a spoken Trek rule that if they have a doctor specific story, it has to end with them curing whatever it is by venting it through the uh, environmental system? I think that's <laughs> I mean, just about, just about, <laughs> pretty much. I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I, you know, we did did at any point did you have a slight hesitation of? I only get ten episodes. This is. How did you feel about this being one of them? I kind of had the reverse feeling. I feel like I got done with it and I just had my first watch this evening and I had this moment where I said, you know, we're what, like seven, eight episodes in at this point. Mm -hmm. And we just did an entire episode where everyone was out of character. And I feel like in older Trek, if we had not developed those characters well enough, we would not have earned this. And for a lot of these folks to see them in such radically different roles and knowing what their other character is like and feeling like we have that, because I feel like Strange New Worlds has done a good job of that in the little bit of time that it has. 
that this actually resonated pretty well. Uh, and we were able to kind of pull that off. And the characters which we didn't have as much development, Hammer, were themselves, right? So mm-hmm. um, it was it was really interesting to kind of watch that and, and think about, you know, I don't think that there's no way that Disco would have been able to pull this off on episode seven because the only character that they would have been able to reverse would have been Michael, you know, but it, that's just the way that they run that show. This one, they've, they've put a lot of effort into developing those characters so that they can flip them and have a payoff here. Yeah, I think that that's a strength of Strange New World specifically because, you know, they have made this this episodic show. They can kind of, they have a lot more leeway, I think, in that way than Discovery would or that Picard would. I think that they have a lot more leeway in that sense of like each episode is self-contained and they can make pretty much whatever they want. It worked really, really well, I think, here. And I, I don't have a lot of a lot of gripes about it. And I'm also an absolute sucker for good costumes, fairy tale, role plays stuff. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um I also like think it's interesting and someone tweeted this and I cannot remember who it is. And if they watch this and get mad at me and I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but someone mentioned that the we- the reason that Hammer was able to block out the whole entity was that he had telepathic abilities, which Spock also does. And so Spock probably felt it and said, that's all right. Wizard time. And I just, <laughs> I love that idea. I love that. I know it's not true, but I just think it's really funny that Spock was somehow susceptible and Hammer wasn't. I just think it's really funny. As that a, is, as a patient funny. will know, I like to say because reasons. <laughs> exactly. It's Star Trek. Who cares? But I just I love the idea that Spock was like, screw it. Let's go. Wizard time. Phil, I love what you said. Yeah. Phil, I love what you said a minute ago though about um the two characters who we got their true characters were Mbenga and Hemmer, the two characters that we probably know the least about that we've been looking to know more about. Um, I thought that was, that was a really smart choice to give us like, we didn't quite get a Hemmer centric episode, but we got more about him and seeing like, he's actually funny. Like what he did when he brought out, you know, his, his device. Like, I thought that was amazing. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's a funny guy. Like it's, he's not always serious. And typically I think a lot of times when we think about your engineers, right. The, the engineer, the, the engineer of the ship, they tend to be very, very serious, right. We get a little bit different with Jet Reno, who is still very, very serious. She's just funny because she's usually making fun of someone else. And that's funny. Himber was just kind of funny. Like he's, I, I want to know more about him. So I thought that was a, a really good choice. Everyone else we've seen, we've had episodes that focus on bits and pieces of them um, and their storyline. And the ones that could were were as far away from their original characters as possible were the ones that we know very well, like mm-hmm. I, like Laan. I mean, come on, Laan was hysterical, and uh, who else? Um, like I felt like Una was was good, but that that character wasn't all that different from Una. It was just a fun spin on her. But the others were sort of a total opposite from who they are. I could have done with more Una, right? Like the Huntress showed up and then went away, and I thought thought the Huntress was going to stick around a little bit more. I totally want to cosplay Una, cosplaying the Huntress was like now that is an idea. Oh yeah, I think um, you're going to see that. I think you're going to see it quite a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, 
<laughs> I'm excited to see the cosplay that comes out of this. Like, am oh. I the only one that saw that and said, someone will make that. Mm-hmm. Someone will slay. I'm excited <laughs> to see it. Oh, I love you, it. You That's, know, I love it. I, I didn't think about it, but now that you say it, I can see it. Especially um, Uhura. Just saying. So what did you guys think of Uhura? So again, completely different character. But, but what did you think of her portrayal as the evil queen? That was a great choice because she's so meek and like not quiet, but she's very, you know, um, it was a total antithesis of her, like mm-hmm. who she really is. So I thought it was a really great choice to make her the evil queen. Really yeah, cool. I thought it was. I thought it was really, really cool. I, I know, it looked like she was having fun, and I think that's the best part of it for me is that you can tell that she's having fun doing that, and I think that like they have so many strengths as an actor, but like that was awesome. I loved getting to see like this theatrical version of Uhura, and just like you know, it, it very much looked to me like everybody, not just her, like everybody was having fun. Everybody just loved it. And it's it's really really cool. It was a really really cool. Uh, I think it was a really good choice to make her the evil queen as well. Yeah, because it is such an opposite to who she is. Well, and she really <laughs> did have some epic figures. That powers. too. <laughs> um, no, I, if you if you have a chance to check out the ready room with Will Wheaton, he he goes nuts and loves this episode. Um, and you know, Will likes to bring things back to his experiences on TNG. And this is very reminiscent of kind of a Sherwood Forest holodeck episode. Um, but as we get to see some of the characters, Suzanne, you're, you're spot on. They had a blast doing this. Like the fun that they had on set was just contagious. And when you think about Uhura in particular, like this was a lot of fun. Like she got to... I think they said her dress was like six feet or something like that wide. Like they had a great, a great time kind of dressing up and, and kind of twirling around. She was like, it's almost like prom. Like it was, (laughs) she had a great time. So I think that comes across um, really well kind of on, on film, like on camera, like you're seeing that, you know, anytime the, the crew likes being around each other and having a good time, you're seeing that. And so I think that was evident. Yeah. It also like sort of felt like a love letter to nerds. Like this whole episode just felt like just like paradise for geeks. Cause like we've got, you know, like the, the people who are into Star Trek that might also LARP or like go to Ren fairs or whatever. And they have, we have all of this right in front. It's, it's absolutely no wonder Will Wheaton was like geeking out about it. Cause it's absolutely, it's, it's totally just like, it's absolutely made for nerds and it's oh it's awesome such a good episode yes it kang's uh, hot freak is who doesn't love star trek meets dungeons and dragons like it's <laughs> the only thing you were so really true. missing was a dragon like i that would have worked right in there in terms of um having and if this was tng there would have definitely been some type of of dragon roaming the halls or something, but no, it, this was a lot of fun. This was a love letter to geeks. It was, I think also it was incredibly accessible, right. For, for new, for people who are new to track, it wasn't that hard to, to, to figure out. It, it wasn't some, some story that has secretly being told over and over. Like we've heard a little bits and pieces of him reading this story to his daughter. And I think for us, it was kind of cool to see the story that he's been reading come to life. And so like, that was a lot of fun. No, 
Were you guys curious about the story that he's been reading to his daughter? Yeah. And it, it really shows, you know, while they're going for an episodic approach here, they've been planting that seed. You know, he wasn't just reading some generic story and then they decided what it was going to be about. Like those were names that were brought up. And I know that that's how TV now is written. But if you were to compare that to like Trek before, they may have had to retcon that or they would have done it, wouldn't have addressed it at all. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's been reading this story for three years. We've just never shown it on screen before. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just a different approach. And I, I like that, that they you know wrap that all up. Could have used a little more Nurse Chapel, though. Yeah, we absolutely could have. Like, it's one of those things where there's always a character that we're like, okay, I guess they were. This this is the week that they're not there for some <laughs> reason. She was there more than Laan was, but Laan was so big, like yes. her presence was so enormous, even in her small role. That's very true. Every character had their moment where like they were definitely there for us to like marvel and laugh at what they were. And then some of them uh, obviously had longer implications in the story and others did not. Um, I, I laughed the entire time Laan was on. And when Chapel was like doing her like aura sensing thing that she was doing, <laughs> I about lost it. Is that a healing stone? Like <laughs> so funny. It's that so was funny. hilarious. Well, and this, I think, one thing that's incredibly memorable about Laan, not to mention her dress as well, but um, it was the dog. What did you guys think of of the dog? I love her dog, little baby. So <laughs> awesome! It added to the la- the level that just how yeah. different that was than Laan. The singing, the singing was like that was the cherry on top. <laughs> what's what's fascinating to me so again if you kind of watch the the ready room uh christine chong talks about the fact that that's actually her dog and so this was kind of a plot from from early on there was this idea of she was trying to figure out if she could get her dog into an episode of star trek like someone's like oh you should see and so she's kind of asking around and then they go well you know you know, she asked the director and said, well, maybe we can get, in, get, get your dog into the storybook episode. Like that's, you know, the fantasy one. And she never thought it was going to happen. Um, and yet they look and say, yep, we're going to do it. And they thought it added a great little piece. It was the first time that the costume designer had designed a costume for a dog. <laughs> they, they literally had a great time doing it. And there's a, there's a moment where, um, Christine talks about she was a little worried. The director comes over to her and she thinks that she's going to talk about her performance. And she's just like, I just want you to tell you that your dog did an amazing job. And she was just kind of like, oh. Oh, okay. I love so, that. So it, it really became like, like we said, this is a, a group that enjoys being around each other. And they took an, they took an episode that was a, a bit different than anything that we've seen and they had a really good time doing it okay we've 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 started to have a bit of a love fest with this episode are there really no nits we could pick there's nothing Hmm. i just feel like we could have had like we kind of touched on this before i think that each of the characters had their five minutes but it would have been great if they wove them all in a little bit better and more throughout the episode but i'm getting like super nitpicky with that 
what about the speaking of kind of those characters with their five minutes? How did you feel about seeing Pike in this very different non-captain, goofy, inept kind of character? <laughs> Especially for those of you who love you some handsome mount, right? Because he's so dreamy. This was different. Did it work for you? Did it did it, talk to me a little bit? Phil, I'm talking to you when I say, you know, he's dreamy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I liked it a lot too. I, yeah. I think that, that the fun part about that was just like, was how different he was. I don't, this is a very obscure reference and I don't know if anybody's going to under, understand what I'm talking about, but uh, he reminds me of uh, Carrie Elwes' character in uh, Ella Enchanted. I think it is the like creepy uncle that's trying to take the kingdom or whatever. And he's not quite that smart, but it's just this sort of very, not camp, but like, sort of over-exaggerated, like, uh, kind of, like, <laughs> villain that I just love. Just not even a villain, just sort of very opportunist and, like, I don't want to get wet. I'm going to go over here where it's not raining. And then, like, <laughs> I just, I loved it. I loved seeing that sort of different conniving sort of snivelly little... Chris Humperdinck vibes, like... Mm -hmm. cool. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's a better... That's definitely better. I, nothing like a... A Princess Bride reference on a S Star Trek podcast. That was totally Princess Bride. His, <laughs> his little prancy run when he was running. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think my favorite part was uh, when they were in the the ready room of sorts, and he was talking about like maybe I would be a better assistant in the castle, and he just calls me and goes, "Okay." <laughs> I loved that. It was so well done, and you can I feel like you can also tell again that like Anson's having a really fun time being not serious and perfect all the time and it's it's awesome it's really really fun especially when they interact and i think i agree with phil there that like weaving them into the story a little bit differently might have been more successful or as successful and just slightly different um but yeah it was great i loved it <laughs> there, there's some comments in the in the chat that i want to i want us to tackle for a second so there's there seems to be some questions about whether or not what Pike was doing was we were seeing a straight actor who was kind of doing gay aff aff affectations. Is that what you guys got? Or did you, were you thinking that he was kind of playing a character that was portraying um, gay mannerisms? Is that, is that what you think we were saying? I don't I didn't get that vibe. I didn't get it. I didn't get that vibe as, as a lesbian. Um, but like, but no, I didn't, I, I didn't, it wasn't offensive to me at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a, a trope sort of, of the, um, effeminate gay, like not villain, but sort of opportunist, if that makes sense. Just the very kind of snivelly, mm -hmm. sleazy kind of person. I love it. I love that trope. I don't know why, but I do, but I didn't get, I didn't get that he was doing it on purpose or doing it specifically to be necessarily to make it gay coded, but I think that it's there and I don't think it's something to ignore. I would like to hear other people's opinions on it because I, I mean, I just watched it, you know, I, I need to rewatch it and kind of go over it again. But um, I didn't, I didn't get that it was on purpose or that it was like a joke, if that makes sense. Cause I feel like sometimes it can go too far. Um, but I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really well done and I didn't think it was like over the top at all. The 
I'll have to say that wasn't something that I thought about at all. Um, my read on it was that he was, his character was weak and cowardly. Um, and that's how he interacts with the world in terms of kind of backstabbing and looking out for him, avoiding the hard choices. Like it was more of a, you know, yeah, a little bit more like Humperdinck um, than, than something that was, that I, I really read as offensive. I want to be open to the fact that there are, there are people who could have read that as, as offensive, but that wasn't what yeah. I picked up on. So I think that's an interesting read that I want to, I want to be kind of open to. And that's why I thought I'd bring it up to you guys. I, it did, I didn't catch it on my first watch. I'll have to be a little bit more, you know, pay attention a little bit closer to some of his mannerisms directly. I think one of the challenges with this episode, when you're looking at something that normally would go over your head like that, as it does for me is everyone was out of character. So anytime anyone was on screen, you're paying attention to how different everybody is. And for me, I think I was just looking at all of it all at once and and didn't catch that. Yeah. I thought there was a, an interesting subtext between Una and, uh, Ortegas, <laughs> Suzanne, are you were you excited about that? that I that- loved it personally. What I loved about it was that it wasn't weird. No. Like it didn't it didn't become this whole thing. It didn't make it. You know, it just was like it just happened. It's there, and it's I liked it. I'm not saying that I ship it because uh, not really, but also I liked that. I liked that it was there, and I liked that it was just like oh no. Rakia totally wanted them to end up together. And then this, we know each other very well. Like that was just spot on. Perf- loved that. Um, and I will say that partially it's because like they are the opposites of their, like who they would be, you know, because I feel like of the two people that would be a couple, like, no, no, nope. <laughs> but in the story, it makes sense. Um, I did want to touch again on the whole like gay mannerisms villain trope, because that is a trope that's been, it's, mm-hmm everywhere and i think it's i don't think it's necessarily like on purpose when actors do that i think that it's more of like it's just been a thing that a lot of times villains like that that there's like conniving and kind of snivelly and mm, are typically presented as effeminate which is like the sort of the bad thing of like oh well they don't want to get messy they don't want to get hurt they like cower in fear but it's not necessarily a feminine thing or it's not necessarily a gay thing. It's and so I think that the the thing to combat there would to me would just be the trope itself rather than I don't think that it was ever like purposefully intentionally like offensive or like done on purpose I guess. It's it's a very complex issue for me and one that honestly I don't feel like I have the knowledge of the television world to like speak on yeah. super well, but I, you know, I, I didn't see it as something, you know, as a gay person, I didn't, I wasn't offended by it, but I can see why other people would say, Hey, maybe this is a trope we shouldn't do anymore. Um, it makes sense. But honestly, I thought it was done really well and it wasn't, it wasn't overdone. And I think that that's the thing that can get, get a lot of people in trouble. So I liked it. I thought it was very well done. And I also really loved the, like the Una and um, Ortega's bit. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I loved uh, Ortega's bloodlust. She just wanted to kill something. 
What did she say? She's supposed to cut things in half. What's her sword? Her sword had an awesome name, and I can't remember. (laughs) It was Star something. Uh, Yeah. It's like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, what? Well, and now I now you've got me making all kind of um Princess Bride reference to this, but I love oh, Inigo Montoya. Yes. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I totally got that vibe too. Yeah, you, but you I, I, I loved Ortegas in this. Like she was also she was probably one of my favorite characters in this, right? Fiercely loyal, incredibly competent, um, you know, ready to and in most of the scenes. Now, do I count this as an or- Ortegas centric episode, or I'm getting enough about Ortegas? Absolutely not. So I still want that. Like, give me more. Um, but definitely one of my favorite characters. I between between the trio really of Ortegas, Himmer, and Embega. I thought this was, I, I love their dynamic, right? Kind of the idea, the image of them walking through the halls together, searching. Um, I thought it was really cool. Like, like I'm ready to see that. Now I'm, I'm going, want to see them on the away team together, right? Let's, let's get that. Let's, let's make that happen, right? You got an engineer, a doctor, and a pilot. Let's do it. An engineer, no, like a doctor, and a science, pilot go on an away mission. Science vibes. <laughs> with with Phil, the red shirt, it's one of them's not coming back. <laughs> He's crewman number six. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Although, although in modern Trek, what they would do is they'd give me like five minutes of exposition in the beginning of the episode versus just having me be a total rando. Yes. <laughs> we, we've we've graduated now, right? Like it's like, huh, that person that we've never seen before is talking they suddenly have a lot of lines. Yeah. Oh, and they're 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 on transporter pad? Yep, not seeing them again. Why did we get a whole five minutes about Arium that felt oddly placed? Oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So yeah. So, what? Any anything else stood out to you? Let's we could talk a little bit about the contrast between you know the brothers, the you know the telepathic wizard brothers and Spock and and Himmer. What did you guys think about that? Did you expect the Spock betrayal? Yeah, he had that greasy kind of like like Game of Thrones backstabbing look to him which was little awesome. finger vibes if you will yeah when mm-hmm. <laughs> he said we have to go twirly mustache to go. <laughs> he just needed the little <laughs> he needs like a like an like a bird like villain with his bird <laughs> yeah <laughs> waiting to conquer the world when he said uh we have to go a, a dark way around us like jeffrey's tube they're taking the jeffrey's tube <laughs> that was so good i mean that was really cool to see the jeffrey's tube finally it, was amazing and i mean could you have had this episodes without the jeffrey tubes i mean that wouldn't have been any fun at all mm-hmm. exactly dark passageway jeffrey's tips mm-hmm. and yeah it makes so much sense and it's also just like quintessential trek i loved it, it i love that it is you got if, if you're gonna do trek right then you have to almost find reasons to send someone through a jeffrey's tubes in almost every episode like, that's just part of it, right? Like, what is an episode of Trek without someone randomly cl- climbing through a Jeffrey's tube for something? Could be a diagnostic, could be because the turbo lift is out, could be because, you know, some villain is taking over the ship. Doesn't matter, you know, 
storybook. That's the, the that's the way you get through the swamp. I just give me any old reason, and I'm I'm for it. Especially if they're you know rerouting power from the tertiary manifolds, right? <laughs> yep, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, awesome! It was so cool. I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about specifically, just because like, um, I don't know. I think that it was a really well done, just like the whole storybook, um, the whole storybook vibe, but like. The Jeffrey's Tubes, again, was just, like, that was so perfect. That was, like, all right, this is going to be a good episode. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm so glad we're here. I also really loved Wizard Spock. I just, I loved him. I thought he was neat, frankly. Um, (laughs) It was so, it was kind of silly, I guess, to see. But um, I just, we kind of got, like, the long hair, like, depressed Spock back from, like, the Discovery, you know, with the beard (laughs) and everything. I just, I love, oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so silly and so perfect. Um, And I also really liked the moment between, or moments, I guess, between uh, Mbenga and Una as well. I really Mm. loved that. I thought it was really sweet. And, like, they genuinely seem like friends. I mean, she's, you know, she had a secret, he had a secret. They've kind of helped each other out with both of those things. And it's it, it seems like they're getting closer as characters, which I really, really, really love. I really liked those scenes. I thought they were really well done. Yeah. You know, it's... One thing that about number one, Una in particular, um, that I think we get is this genuine caringness that she has, right? And And that's an interesting place for your XO to be, because what we know is that Mbenga has been, he kept a secret, you know, he had his daughter kind of in this transporter, this private transporter, it created issues on the ship. And what Una did was she stepped up to say, Hey, we're going to reroute power so that this doesn't happen again. And so that you don't have to worry about this. And and they could have left it right there. But what we get with Una is someone who genuinely cares about her people, whether it's Leon or now Binga. But for her to show up and ask, How, how's it going? Right? And then for her to come back and, and really engage him in a way to check on him. I, I don't want to say it's unique, but I think what I'm seeing is a genuineness that she cares about him as a person. I'm going to say this and, you know, there may be some strong reactions. Have we ever seen an XO, a number one, that has shown that has been as genuine and their caringness about the person over the officer? Right. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Chakotay and you've got Riker and Spock. And I mean, just kind of thinking about it for a little bit. Right. I think think Una is definitely unique, but I think Chakotay would be a close second to her because of the situation that that ship was in far-flung crew smashed together. They really only had each other. And he definitely looked out both sides, one after Janeway and two after all the people that she was over as well. 
Um, I, I definitely caught that vibe from him in some ways, but this definitely felt a little different. Like Una walked in there and she started out like, Hey, you haven't done your job, but I'm guessing there's probably a really good reason for that. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Right. Yeah. That, that balance, right. The thing about Chicote that's always been interesting to me is he had a, he came in with a very close relationship with the Maquis. Mm-hmm. Right. And so part of his, you know, kind of what was going on for him was he was he wanted to make sure that his people were OK in this new world. Right. Um, and he ultimately cared for everybody. And he was, you know, kind of a very caring person. But this feels different. Like like there, that balance of look, I need you to take care of your business, but I'm concerned about you as a person. That felt new for me. Yeah, she's demonstrated yeah. that with Laon too, right? Mm-hmm. With Laon, she's definitely like a big sister. Like, it, it really is resonating as, as like she's very different. She's very I, different. I even think we see a little bit of it with with how she interacts with Pike, right? Like, I oh yeah, there's a lot to this character that I'm fascinated by, right? And I'm I'm wondering how much we're gonna get. She's very much sort of the ship mom. And but she's not the captain, so she doesn't have to maintain the same level of distance um, that I think some captains have felt that they have to have. And Pike is still different in that way, and Una may be very well a product of the environment that Pike has created as well. I mean, the two seem to have similar uh, methodologies there in how they talk to the crew. I mean, I just I noticed in this episode, Pike continued his thing of referring to his crew by first name, not by rank. Um, so it's, and I think that that, that sets a tone as well. And she's probably stepping right into that. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned that, Phil, I think one of the things that I pick up on is usually when I think about first officers, what we've, what the writers, the directors, what the Star Trek universe gives us is this is a person who's so supremely qualified. They could be captain, right? Whether it's Spock Chicote was a ca- like he was a captain. You think about Riker, like we get this whole like Riker. When are you going to stop? When are you going to get out of Picard's shadow? Like there's this idea that you you're number one. You've got a great number one, but you know you're just keep it. You, you just hold on to him for a second before they move on to to the next ship. I think in the very in the pilot we saw a little about that with with Una. But since then, I don't get this like I'm I'm ready to take over, and we don't really see her sitting in the big chair, right? We we don't see a lot of her going. All right, you know I'm I'm ready. It's like she's found a very comfortable place in being this exo who's also a bit of a counselor, is the way I put it. I don't know necessarily a, a mom vibe, but it's definitely a Deanna Troy vibe to me. Right, like I genuinely care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I for sure get that. Yeah. Ooh, some like so the, the chat is saying they're looking at it. As, what about Rafi? Right? Is is is, is that a That's good comparison? And and speaking of which, because this is the tough one for me. Because when we think about Picard, there's a question because their hierarchy is all over the place. They're really like a band of pirates. Um, 
who's captain and who's first officer in that dynamic? So the thing about Rafi, because Kern mentioned this in the chat, if you go to the Picard books, she was Picard's exo during the evacuation of Romulus. And I think that's how she came up in this conversation here. What I can't remember from the story is what she was like in that way. But with the character she is now, I could definitely see that back then as well. So maybe there is a little yeah, precedent so. for this. Yeah. But okay. still, I mean, not on screen, not with what we're seeing with Una. Like, she's different. Yeah, I think they've definitely kind of started that earlier, and if they've made it more a part of her character than they did with Rafi necessarily, at least on screen, like to us, what what we've seen. Um, I think that for Rafi, it could be almost a weakness, not necessarily, but I think that a lot of the time she lets her own emotions about other people or, her, you know, get to her. And, and, you know, we see that in the way that she responds to the, uh, to Romulus and to everything that happens. I think that a lot of times she feels things for other people in a way that might be not super healthy. Um, and I think that, that not to say that it's like a bad thing or that it's necessarily a flaw, but like I see less of like her reaching out and more of her just feeling things really, really deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with, Una in the position that she's in, you know, having this responsibility as first officer, but also having responsibility to the people that she cares about and to the, to her crew, not only as officers, but as people, I think that's definitely new. I think that's new. I, I think we haven't seen a ton of that. I do think that Rafi probably did have moments like that though. Um, I, it, it would, it would shock me if like, there was not a single time where she went to check up on a crew member that was hurt or otherwise, you know, anyway, I think that we don't see it as often with Rafi, but I think it's probably there. And I think it's different between the two of them. I think that their styles of interacting with people are very different. And so I don't know if it's fair to compare, but I also think it's important to talk about in that, in that way, if that makes any sense, I'm rambling, but, Anyway. <laughs> All right. I've got one more question, but before I get to that, uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? Are there anything we haven't touched on? I can be really quick, but I have one sure. thing. I promise I'll Go be ahead. fast. Um, I think that the thing that I really loved was the resolution that we got with Rukia. I think that a lot of other episodes wouldn't have done that. I think that a lot of other Trek wouldn't have done that. I think it would have left it up in the air. I think it would have been like, maybe she's fine, maybe she's not. And I think it was really nice to see, to have that closure and to see her grown and, and have that moment between her and her father. I, I really liked the way that was done. And I, I could see why people would complain about it, like leave it up to the imagination kind of thing. I could see why that could make some people upset, but I, I thought it was beautiful and I thought it was very well done. Well, that's something that if they had 26 episodes, they would have gone back to check on her seat. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been a whole secondary story about it. She would have sent a distress signal. It would have been a whole thing, right? It would have been right? a callback to it for sure. Like, it, oh, yeah. it, it, why not? You got 26 episodes. You're trying to fill fill things in. You absolutely would have done that. But I, I, yeah. I agree with you, Suzanne. Um, I was actually really happy. I was like, oh, okay. So this is going to be the thing that we that's open ended, and we're left to wonder what happens. And but they gave us this again, the flash forward, if you will. Um, and I felt like it left him in a place 
where you know you have this dad who gets to see that his you know his daughter is happy and healthy and he gets to he, he he's wanted nothing more than to watch her grow up and kind of in this moment when he decides to let her, her let her go he basically says i'm gonna for forgo all that right this one thing that i've wanted is to see how she turns out and for her to be able to live i'm not going to be able to experience that and then he gets this treat of being able to see oh look she turns out great and you know it's kind of this happily ever after uh like i i look i'm I, i'm a I like I like the sappy stuff, right? I do. So I was here for it. I loved it. Um, and I think someone else mentioned earlier, uh, Elizabeth, you mentioned it. Like this is our kind of second kind of dad episode. I like the way this one ended a lot better, and it almost, almost not really makes up for that horrible feeling I had at the end of that other episode. It's kind of like, well, thank you, little little bit of redemption. But what, Phil, Elizabeth, what did you guys think about the kind of the resolution? I think I really liked how um, it was interesting how they made it so that no one else remembered those five hours, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Was it five hours? It was only yep. Mbenga and Hammer. And uh, I thought it was sweet how in the end, Una, of course, with her, you know, empathy and sympathy, she was, uh, you know, I, I'm imagining that he's retelling the story in this epic way. You know, this is how it went down, you know, once upon a time, which is really cute. I thought that was a great ending. You know, I'm imagining that he's filling her in. But maybe it's a little secret between the two of them, which would also be really nice. You know, no one else really needs to know what went on. So I think that was a nice little resolution. I was a little disappointed that Hammer didn't remember because I thought oh, that that's right. he, was, didn't he didn't remember. He didn't remember. Yeah. So I was. I kind of felt like if Hema remembered, like now you've got Hema and Mbenga who are going to be like these these best friends who <laughs> experience this thing together. And I was excited about it. And I'm like, ah, like that was that was uh, not even a nitpick. Just was like ah, I wish it had kind of been differently. But now you've got this thing that Mbenga has that is pretty much wholly his and now he's choosing to share it with una i thought that was interesting what about you phil what do you think about the, the resolution so i'm gonna go a different way that oh that i liked it but something <laughs> we haven't talked about is, is the difference in how that girl lived so when we first met her she was living in the pattern buffer and every time she was put away she was frozen in time and then as soon as she was released from that from our perspective, she was accelerated, what, 10, 20 years? And so just the dichotomy there of watching her be frozen versus flourishing in an instant was a really, really powerful storytelling technique, I think. And and then for her to come back and, and really give permission to her father to be okay with what he's done and to give him that closure was really powerful to watch as well. I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I like that take, Phil. Um, yeah, it, it that resolution, like it really wraps up a bow on Mbenga and gives us a place for him to to be able to exhale a little bit and feel like all that work and all that effort, which had to be hard, 
right? Like to want to spend time with this daughter, but can't, but you're trying to save her. You know what you're doing is a little weird and secretive. And now to be able to say, hey, no, it worked out. Like that's, that's, that's amazing for him to be able to have that. And I feel like it's going to free him up to see something, some new things. And his character is going to, to develop in a new, new and exciting way. Yeah. I was a little worried that they were going to use her as a tool to get him off the show, which would have been really disappointing, like mm. that he would leave to go and further his research. So I'm glad that mm. it was nice that they kept him. I'm interested to see what this is a jumping off point for for him because that's literally been a ball and chain for him, both mentally and professionally, because of the effort that he was putting into it. And it's it's gone now. So it'll be interesting to see where his character goes from here. So it's interesting that you say that. So, you know, the ready room is interesting to me because you're seeing some behind the scenes stuff. I think the ready room is great. If you, you want to look at set design and costumes and thinking like, I I think it's incredible. Here's what I wasn't expecting because typically things around Star Trek are so tight lipped. I hope Mbinga doesn't get in trouble. So I hope Babs does not get in trouble because in the ready room, he was talking a little bit and I was like, really? Like, is that okay for you to say? And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, he talks about the fact that they're already shooting season two and, you know, Will's asking the same question that we are like, you know, now with this resolved and behind you, like, do you think that it'll open up doors for your character? And he was like, oh, absolutely. I think in season two, you're going to see a, a, a darker side. I was like, what? And he goes on to say, as he relates to the Klingons, and I was like, I, I don't know if you were supposed to say all that, man. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> but I, I thought had, it was I mean, I had a feeling we were going to see that again. I had a feeling that was going to happen again. But, but you know, I mean, those aren't, those aren't live, right? Like, they can cut stuff out, yeah. Because I feel like maybe that was kind of an on, pur- on, on purpose slip, yeah, if that I makes mean, sense. It, it's paramount. But, There's no way. It's not like that was a live thing that they don't know is out there. So, I, um, but I, I think that's fascinating. The fact that we're going to see different sides of Mbenga, Um, that the show's going to, you know, he, he's going to grow. We're, we're going to, who, who doesn't want to see the Klingons? I'm surprised we haven't seen them already. Maybe we'll, you know, we got two more episodes. Um but yeah, what do you what are you guys hoping to get out of the last two episodes? Any any predictions? Any any wish lists? I, I think Una's revolution. I want I want to know more about Una's um, species. I think they left us kind of up in the air about that. We found out she's you know this really interesting alien, and hopefully they'll give us a little bit more of that. I'd like to see that for the end. Wow. So here's something that's interesting. Kang says, Laurel, please return. I mean, the timeline would kind of work, right? I'd be awesome. I'm totally here for it. I don't know how it would happen. I don't know how they would weave it in. Discovery era Klingons on Strange New World. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Or would they go with TOS Klingons? Probably. I would hope. That, I mean, just because I like want to see 
like the new Trek angry people. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people who was like, oh, they'd like, it, but like in a mean way of like, <laughs> like just like absolutely being really awful to writers, whatever, and like the makeup team. I kind of want to see them again just to like make people mad because I think they were cool personally and sometimes makeup changes. But I also would really love to see Mary Chifo back. I think that would be really cool. I, uh, I'm here for that. I, I think that we're we're going to at least hear from the Gorn one more time. I agree. I was going to say that. that yeah. That's why Elizabeth is wearing the shirt. I, I, I read somewhere that they have an episode in the works for this season that's like pure horror. And I wonder if it's Gorn related. Mm. So, I would love to see like, To me, that makes awesome. What do we have? <laughs> two left? Two left. I bet you it's next week's because I don't know if they want to end on that kind of a niche episode. That'd note. be a fun cliffhanger, though. I think though. it would be a fun cliffhanger, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. And I also know that they're not done with the Gorn storyline because I think that one thing that I loved the most about that particular episode was that it was left the way that it was. Mm-hmm. They didn't show them. It wasn't, you know, because nothing is scarier than what our imaginations can create, right? So... I I think that we're going to get more of that, if not this season, definitely next season. Um, and I'm interested to see where that goes personally. And I think it would be a really good cliffhanger if it were episode 10. And I think it would be like perfect cliffhanger material. I don't even know if we need to see them directly, even like we did the last time. Even if we just find out that we're like in their wake and that, you know, we're we're like two steps behind whatever they're up to and cleaning up the mess and dealing with the fallout. Like we could still deal with the Gorn in that way before the end of the season. But I, I, they've, I think that they're coming back before the end. Oh yeah. I, agree. I, I think we're going to see them next week. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I do. I have screeners. Yes. Have I watched them? No. So I don't know. <laughs> week. <laughs> may will may I may I start watching them the minute this podcast is over? It's possible. <laughs> Very possible. So valid. <laughs> um, but I don't know yet. But I think we're going to see him next week. Um, and the truth is, we might see him in the next two episodes, um, and awesome. still may get a cliffhanger. Um, and normally, I would not be okay with that. The only reason why I would be is because lower decks is coming. And so if you're going to leave me with some scary, crazy Gorn, then what's a great palate cleanser for that to make sure that I'm okay and not having nightmares every night? Boy, <laughs> that works. Brad right? word. Um, so, but no, I, I look, I, I'm, I'm interested. I want to see the Gorn. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want the boogeyman. So that left up to my own imagination. I, I'm, I think after looking at what we saw for in TOS, we actually get an opportunity now to, to have some serious Hollywood hair, makeup, special effects, create something that I think could be an incredible addition to the Star Trek pantheon of, of characters. Make and it terrifying. Please make it terrifying. Oh, sure. Like, <laughs> What's it called? The Demogorgon, like, terrifying. <laughs> I mean, heck, look at just Demogorgon. even what they did with refreshing yeah. the Queen on Picard. Mm-hmm. That was still in character for her, but, like, that makeup and that refresh was very well done. And, yes. and 
I think that if that's any preview of what they can do and still respect the history, I'm really excited to see what the Gorn evolve into. Yeah, I think for a first for a first introduction to the Gorn, it was a good thing to kind of make it really creepy and then not see it until we get to the culmination of it, which would then be where we actually get to see it and it's all like terrifying and um, and we've seen what Star Trek makeup teams can do. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's incredible. I am Hello, so excited. Saru. <laughs> right. Um, I'm I'm so excited. I'm so excited to see what they do with Gorn. And I'm I would be slightly disappointed if we don't see them ever. I kind of would get why as a device, but I I I want to see the Gorn. I want to see the Gorn. Yeah, I I'll also say while I want to see the Gorn, and I think we will. Um, I'm here for the Klingon too because look, we've got discovery for new aliens, right? Um. We've got Picard for, you know, everything in between. Uh, This is our opportunity to do something that we haven't really been able to do, maybe in Star Trek ever. And that is go back and truly revisit the Klingon War, right? Like we got a little bit of that with Discovery, but now we really get to see kind of the evolution of the Federation and the Klingons becoming allies um, and all the stuff that happened before that. I'm really curious uh, about the Klingons because I just think that what they were able to do with the Klingons as a species in terms of like the mythology behind it, the culture, not to mention you're talking about a Star Trek race that literally has its own language that people go around saying. Nobody on this podcast, I'm sure. Uh huh. I knew you. <laughs> I knew it was you, Liz. Um, but but when you have something like that, like well, you have to use it. Like you have to come back, come back to it, um, because it's just a quintessential part of of the star trek landscape so i'm excited for that i'm guessing that'll be more season two um so i'm just, and and they've hinted at it too many times for us not to to have something really interesting so i'm excited about that all right so first let me just say thank you to all of you suzanne phil elizabeth appreciate you guys coming on the pod with mariah being on her away mission um as we wrap up we've been going for a little over an hour uh let me go ahead and say anything else you guys want to mention before we we truly wrap up the episode have we talked about it all did i leave anything out right because when mariah comes back next week you guys got to tell her i did a good job and i didn't like leave some (laughs) major plot device laying on the you know in, in the cargo bay a you know so i'm just saying you know. If there had been more conflict, maybe in this episode, but it was just yeah. fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. Well, I had a few like I had a few plot questions at the beginning of the episode, and it's not even worth bringing them up now because they were answered at the end. Where it's like, oh, we have this all powerful being that did X Y Z. So um, it's it, it was. I felt like it was a really well buttoned up episode and a lot of fun to watch. Great. All right. Um, Suzanne, want to tell people where they can find you? So I'm assuming they can see my Twitter at mm-hmm. right there. Captain Janeway, first A is an X. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter. I really don't use Instagram a lot. So if you want to find me, find me on Twitter. 
and uh, yeah, I'm there right. pretty much all the time, 24-7. So. <laughs> Phil and Elizabeth, where can people find you if they want to talk about track? Oh. Go ahead, Elizabeth. I'm on Instagram, my little, my little Trekkie verse, which it's kind of hard, but <laughs> he has all kinds. Just my like Star Trek collection, but I love talking Trek. So if anyone wants to talk, <laughs> all kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> uh, I'm not really active on the socials all that much. If you want to find me, you should join the Patreon. I'm a, I'm all over that place. So <laughs> thank you. That's what I was hoping one of you would say. Yes. So for just two dollars an episode, that's one dollar and one dollar, two dollars an episode. Uh, you can join our Patreon, and you then get access to our Slack channel, where you can talk to Elizabeth and Phil and do watch-alongs and hang out and talk all things Trek to the wee hours of the night if you like. Um, so, yes, if you want to see more of Elizabeth and Phil and so many others, just head over. You can find all of our information at StarTrekPod.co. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at StarTrekPod uh, and on Insta. Um, so, yeah. All right. So, uh, until our next pod, I will say live long and prosper and good night. Good night, all.